Father, we love singing to you because you deserve all honor, praise, and glory. Father, we long for that day when we will be singing into eternity, praising you for the Lamb who rose again, who reigns on the throne today. Father, as we think about fruitfulness now, though, Father, help us to see how that eternal perspective affects how we work today, how we live today. Father, would you, by your Spirit, shape our hearts and our lives to know what it means to live for you in the now, in the present. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please do take a seat. And good afternoon. My, my name is Mike. Uh, I'm another one of the elders uh, at the Globe Church. It's great to, to be with you this afternoon. It's great to have so many of you here, um, to see familiar faces and new faces. So really, really warm welcome to you. Uh, we hope you have a really great time um, as we worship together. And as we look at God's word now, uh, and as Jody mentioned, we've been working through a series about fruitfulness for the last few weeks, uh, thinking about what it means to be fruitful in our lives. Um, and today's the last in that series, and we, we're thinking about fruitfulness at work. That's why Johnny asked that question, uh, to get us thinking a little bit about what we do. Um, so it's the last in this series. Before next week, we're going to go into the Sermon on the Mount. But let me start it, just asking you a question. Let, let's see how this goes. How many of you sleep on average about seven hours uh, an evening? Okay. Anyone sleep less than that, six hours or less? Oh, wow. Uh, you need to hear the sermon on, that John said, fruitfulness in rest. I think that's quite an important one. Uh, anyone sleep more than eight hours? Oh, wow, quite a few of you as well. There will be a sermon at some point. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, and then... Uh, most people on average sleep, what, seven to eight hours a night, and then you're, let's say you're working in a standard nine-to-five job right now. Um, I st- kind of worked it out. Roughly 60% or so of your awake time, you're doing something work-related, whether that's commuting or working um, at, at a desk or whatever. And for many of you, it'll probably be more than that. So more than 60 to 70% of your, li- of your working awake week, you are at work. And work takes form in lots of different ways in different seasons, as Johnny mentioned. Some of you will be studying. That's your season of work right now. Others will be doing hybrid, working from home, perhaps, or others will work shifts. Some are full-time moms or dads. And trust me, I'm a dad of two young kids. There aren't any holidays with young kids. It's funny, in middle-class Britain, it's one of the first things people tend to ask when they meet somebody. What do you do? See, work takes up a lot of our time, and it, it also seems to affect our identity. It's a big part of our lives. And you look around, there's loads of stuff, loads of books and podcasts about you know, how to maximize your work, how to get ahead, how to be successful. I think innately, human beings seem to understand that work is a huge part of our humanness. The question we're trying to answer, ask this afternoon is, okay, so how do we approach that, that, this field of work as Christians? It's really interesting. If you read Jesus' parables, he actually often uses illustrations that are, involve some sort of work. Sowing seeds, kneading yeast, working in vineyards, investing bags of gold, as we heard last week. Because Jesus seems to understand that this is a huge part of our world and how we understand how it works. So if that's the case, then what does God say about work? How are we to regard it? How are we to view it? Is it good or is it bad or is it something in between? How do we make the most of it as Christians? What does it look like to be fruitful as a Christian in our work? That's, those are some of the things that we want to touch on this afternoon. Now, just a couple of things to say as we head into this. Firstly, this is a, this is a huge topic, and we can't cover everything in half an hour. So it's going to be quite high level today, just picking up some principles. But because of that, the second thing I want to say is that we want to push further into this stuff. 
uh, a small group of us um, have been like talking and, and discussing over the last few months to think, yeah, how can we how can we engage with this all the more? Am I a bit echoey? No, just me. Okay, all up in my head. All right, fine. Let's keep going. Um, but yeah, we wanted to get a group of some kind just to think about this a little bit more. How do we integrate our faith and our work a bit? Um, and I've been chatting to Ashish, who's been one of those guys who's been really thinking about this quite deeply. So uh, we wanted to, um, he's, you're going to hear from him a little bit later, but we wanted to invite you to, to come and chat to us afterwards. So we're going to be in the minis room straight after the service. Um, so grab some food and head in. And if you want to talk a little bit more, think a little bit more about how to engage with this sort of stuff. So we wanted to have that opportunity to go deeper. Uh, now, you might be wondering, I'm, I'm a pastor, why am I doing standing, talking about work? Well, I've done a little bit of thinking in the past because I spent a few years working in the financial sector. Um, and I had to think about what it meant to be a Christian working in that sort of environment. And some of that's going to flow out of that sort of experience I had. But look, I'm not here to talk about my experience. Because my experience is limited. My knowledge is limited. I don't know of all of your situations and, and the work that you do. But I want to go to God because God does. So we need to hear from him. What does God have to say about our work? So we're going to spend a lot of time just in Genesis chapters 1 to 3. Okay? So if you've got a Bible to hand, just flick right to the start of the Bible. Because it's amazing, actually. The idea of work starts with God right from the beginning. That's what we're going to see. And through that, I want to show you why work really matters. Okay, so go right to the start of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. And let me just read verse 1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the, earth, and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. Right. Just right at the start, in the beginning, there was nothing around. There was God, but nothing else. Nothing else existed. And what does God do? What's the first thing he does? He creates. He does something. He acts and he does something with the nothingness there. Now flick over. Jump ahead with me to chapter 2. And listen to how the Bible describes, how God's word describes what God was doing right at the start. So chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Do you see how the Bible describes what God was doing? He calls it work. God was working right at the beginning and he called all the work he was doing good. Do you see how in God's design, work is inherently a good thing? That's the first thing I want us to see. We see that within God himself. God is the original worker. He was at work in the very beginning. Creation is an outworking of who he is in his being. Psalm 19 says, look, the heavens declare the glory of his handiwork, the work of his hands. Creation, his work, reflects God's generosity, his goodness, his glory. But then you look at the detail, and it's fascinating. In God's being, we see God as a worker who is both creative and he's really ordered. When he creates, do you see, the first three days, he creates these spaces, light and dark, air and water, land and sea. He's ordering things. And then days four to six, he starts putting things in those spaces. He could have made just one light, but he makes the sun, moon, and stars. He could have made just one bird or one fish, but he creates a vast diversity of fish and birds and animals and humans. Do you see, God orders things, but then we see the breadth of creativity 
across those spaces, within those spaces. Does anyone know how many species of living organisms we have in the world at the moment? Anyone know? This is a pub quiz kind of question. Apparently, 2.5 million, roughly estimated. One million of those are insects. Those are just different types of species, right? And we've seen lots come and go throughout the time. It's huge, the diversity. That is who God is. He is a worker who is both infinitely creative and perfectly ordered in his work. Put it this way, his Excel spreadsheet is unlimited. Ours are limited. I actually sat there and I tried it. Geeky, I know. Do you know how many rows you can get in Excel, Microsoft Excel at the moment? 1,048,576. The number of columns, well, columns you get letters. XFD is what you get to. I have no idea how many that is. But just like his Excel spreadsheet is unlimited, so is his paint palette. All the combinations of red, yellow, and blue. It's fascinating to think that a triune God made three primary colors that, from which all other colors come. Anyway. But you see, God is the great worker. His work is an outworking of his character of who God is. The God who is good, who is ordered, who is creative. And his work displays his glory. Okay, you're with me so far. So what does it mean for us then? Okay, come with me, look, look in Genesis 1, verses 27 to 28. So chapter 1, verses 20, verse 27. So God created humanity, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here, see, here's the thing. We, we looked at this in Psalm 8 earlier in the summer, if you were with us. God creates everything, but then he creates humanity as the pinnacle of his creation. A little lower than the angels is what Psalm 8 says. And it says here that's because he has, he has made us, male and female, in the image of God. That doesn't mean we are God ourselves. He is creator, we are creature. We've got to get that distinction right. But we are created to perfectly reflect something of the pattern and character of who God is. So as his image bearers, God says, look, humanity go and rule, go and subdue creation, not in an abusive, domineering way, but just as God has done, with goodness, with gentleness, giving life, caring for creation, using order and creativity together. Some people call this the vice regency of humanity. It's basically saying, look, we are God's representative rulers over creation. We rule together with, with God. And he doesn't leave that to one person. He leaves that with all of humanity. Do you see how it says, look, go and be fruitful and multiply. He calls humanity to spread. Because God wants humanity, human beings, to carry God's glory into the far corners of the earth. And he wants us, as we go, to bear his image, take his glory, and do his work to rule and subdue and care for his creation. There is a duty and responsibility and a privilege for us as human beings reflecting God's work as his image bearers. Let me show you a couple of more details. You know, we read that passage, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and we heard that word for work there. That same word is used of human beings working throughout the Bible. There's a link between the work God does and the work we do. Carry on. Chapter, look at chapter 2, verse 5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. 
Do you see, God looks around, he's like, there's no person, there's no be- human being to work the ground. He wants us he, to work. That's how he creates us. And then later on, look down, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There it is. There's the, there's the command that he gives to, to humanity, to work it and take care of it. Take care is to preserve it, to keep it and maintain it as it was. And to work is to, the same word, to minister, to serve. Some people translate it as to dress creation, to cultivate creation, to help it to flourish. It's like growing flowers, if you've ever done that. We can't initiate and start the growth. That's what God does. But once it starts growing, we can trim it, we can water it, we can feed it. Chapter 2.15 sort of captures our given task as humanity with our work. Work is about cultivating and preserving what God has started to help creation to flourish. And Adam gets stuck in right away. He goes and he starts naming the animals. And it's so funny, in verse 19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. God brought them to the man to see what he would name them. See, God could have done that, but he sits there watching as Adam names He orders creation and the animals with creative naming. God loves to see that, to see us do that. See, humanity today still reflects God's glory through the work that we do, both in our creativity and in our orderliness. Let's try this. Who here loves cooking? Ah, A few people love cooking. Great. Who loves drawing and painting? Good selection. Who loves Excel? Microsoft Excel? Oh, yes, proud. Yes, well done. I'm in good company. Who loves engineering and structuring things? Playing with Lego? Yeah, yeah lots of people do. Right, do you see, in this room, you can all see there's, there's something of us that reflects something of God's orderliness and creativity. Together, all of humanity reflects something of the way God works. From accountants to actors, from doctors to dog walkers, from postmen to painters. All of these roles reflect reflect something of God's creativity and orderliness. And that seems to be innate in us as human beings. If you're not a Christian here this afternoon, hopefully you can agree and see that that is the, the reality that we live in. I have loads of friends who love working and creating things. That's because that's how God has made us. Okay, let me just apply this for a minute. I think there's some important things that we need to pick up. What's the, what's the, what does this mean for us then? Firstly, it means that your work has purpose and meaning. No matter what you do, they have purpose and meaning that reflects something of God. There is value and dignity in the work that you do. See, the world values work in terms of how you get paid quite often. Work that is higher paid is seen as more valuable. I was chatting to some teenagers last week, and I was like asking them, what do you guys want to do when you grow up? And a lot of them said, I want to be an investment banker or a lawyer. And asked them, why? Because you earn a lot of money and it seems worthier. See, that's how the world values it. But the kingdom of God's value system is completely different. See, for God, any work that cultivates, that flourishes God's creation in service to others, in worship of him, is work that is dignified and valued by God. God smiles upon that sort of work. Whether that's you helping out and volunteering at your local charity, or whether you're operating as a surgeon or an accountant or a photographer, or you stay at home as a dad or a mom to look look after and nurture your kids, or you're a student researching and learning how to help 
I don't know, economies grow or languages develop or creativity and art, whatever it is, it's worthy in God's eyes. Secondly, I think this means that we can do this type of God-given work no matter what season we are in. Because it's not just about paid work. If you're a student, you're not, you're, you may not be generating income at the moment, but you are learning what it's going to look like to cultivate and serve. You're sharing some of that knowledge with other people. So study hard for God's glory. For others, if you're out of work, that is a really hard situation to be in. But there are still ways to honor God in the ways you can cultivate and serve. It's not easy, for sure. But prayerfully, you can stay busy, serving in different areas, growing. Not just at church, I mean outside it as well. Learn things, cultivate, help others to flourish. And there's a knock-on effect. As you grow, as you learn, as you pick up skills, as you keep prayerfully waiting for your next chapter, those things may well come in handy. And the heart motivation isn't out of greed or fear, but because of you honoring and trusting in God and what he has called in terms of work. Here's a third one, which really challenged me, actually. As I thought about it, this means that we should never look down on other people for the work that they do, just because it's something different to us. Never judge someone on their salary, whether they work wearing a suit or not. That's the way the world views it. But we honor people who work in very different sectors and worlds to us. That's the right thing to do. See, it's really easy for white-collar workers to often look down on a blue-collar worker. But as Christians, we never do that. Because we need one another. We together reflect God's goodness of work just as much as each other. And let me challenge us. As a church, particularly where we have lots of people in the service sector, just be careful of that creeping into your heart. And let me flip that around. Don't feel lesser because of the work you're in. Don't feel lesser in your job because you work at Apple instead of Samsung. I'm Korean, so Samsung is the best. All right, jokes aside, don't feel lesser because you're in a certain job that others aren't in. Do you see how the kingdom values it? In light of God, it flattens our value system completely. Okay, I'm going to move on. Let's move on. The thing is, we talk about work like this, and it sounds good at the start, but the reality is that that may not be the experience for all of us, or many of us, in fact. Why does it sometimes just suck? Whether it's the work itself or sometimes the people that we work with, the boss, the clients who make our lives difficult, why is it so hard and frustrating, sometimes so unfulfilling? I spoke to a friend recently who was out of work for a while, and that was a huge blow for them. You might know that today and the frustration of that and the pain of that. I remember when I was working, I used to have what I called LinkedIn days. Do you know what those are? You know, when work sucks and the first thing you do Start browsing LinkedIn. This is the thing. Work is inherently good. That's how God created it. But work is also painful because of Genesis chapter 3. So come with me to Genesis 3. And we're just going to look at two verses there, 17 and 18. See, to Adam, God says, uh, so what happens is, God says to them, he creates, he says, look, here's the... Here's everything you can enjoy, but please don't eat from this one tree. Just trust me. Trust my word. But the, the human beings fail to do that. They disobey God. They disconnect with God. They start to trust in themselves and other things and not God. And so they eat from that tree, and, and we get to this point where God is like, okay, that's, that's not great. It's, not, it's not, not great. It's terrible. 
And this is what he says to Adam. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Do you see what it says there? How, how this disobedience, this broken disconnect that we have with God is starting to impact everything. And it impacts our work. It impacts the image that we were made in, in God's image. It's now broken. Our relationship with God is broken. We no longer reflect God rightly in who we are and in our work. It's like a shattered mirror. As it's shattered on, and on the floor, certain parts of it might reflect God at times, but fundamentally our image is twisted, frustrated, and confused. And that will affect our work. But an important thing you need to notice here is work itself is not cursed. It's not the work that is cursed, but it's the ground that is cursed. And that what that means is that the work that we do still maintains dignity as God intended. But when we work now, it's going to be hard. There are thorns and thistles. It no longer functions as it should in being an outworking of God's glory. Instead, it causes pain, painful toil. Let me quickly touch on three ways I think this can happen. Firstly, I think this is a really important one. Work can often become our God. Our hearts reflect something of Adam's here. That sinful desire to distrust God, to disobey God, and to find our own gods. John Calvin, the reformer, said our hearts are idol factories. And ever since Genesis 3, that is exactly what our hearts do. We displace God with anything else, and very often, work can take that place. Some people call this the high view of work. We see work as the big thing. That if we get work right, then everything else will fall into place. It will give us the good life, it will fix all our problems. It will give us the money and the status and the respect that we need. And this ends up with us essentially finding our identity in work, not in God. Do you see how that reverses everything God set up in Genesis 1 and 2? Our identity was meant to be as God's image bearers. And our work was an outworking of that God-given identity. But now that's been flipped. In our shattered image, we confuse it all. We take work that is good and have it rule over us instead. And when that happens, work is no longer a joy. It's no longer an expression of God's goodness and his glory. It just becomes a painful toil, a slave driver. We can find it both exhausting and unfulfilling, or both. And I have many friends who are like that, still in the, in the financial sector, who either think work is everything, and they, they sacrifice everything for it, their sleep, their friends, their family, or they just are severely disappointed, thinking, is this it? Here's another way it can happen. Work is a pain. He says here, with the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. You sweat and sweat, but you just know you're just going to return to the ground. It's just a pain. It's a nuisance. The only good thing it is for is to go on holiday and to buy things. That's all you need to do for work. That's the low view of work. Work is just futile. It's meaningless. It's pointless. There you start missing the very dignity of work that God had created, the real meaning or purpose. For Christians, we need to be careful with this because sometimes that can cause what is sometimes called the secular sacred divide, the divide between work and church. Simply saying, look, Sunday and Mondays and Fridays, we are different people because worldly work is pointless. It's futile. It's a nuisance. So you just work so you can earn money, go and enjoy God's gifts, 
do God's work and mission and evangelism, Bible ministry, that's all that matters. That's where you can end up. But we've already seen work is much more than that. It's a means in itself to honor and glorify God. Here's a third way it can affect us, the painful toil. Work can feel fruitless. I think for many of us sitting in this room, we work faithfully. We work hard trying to do the right thing, getting our heads down. We don't idolize it, but we just try and work hard with what we have. But it's just not clear whether this really does anything, whether it cultivates or grows. For some of us, we've worked hard to try and honor God, but it feels flat. You know, we've been talking about fruitfulness for the last few weeks because I think it's wired into us, our image bearing of God. We want to be bearing fruit and we want to be cultivating, but when we don't do that, it can feel despairing. See, these are some of the ways I think that work can be frustrating, that it's painful toil. There are lots of other ways I think it can affect us. And you may well be feeling that you are in one of these three camps. Perhaps you have too high a view of work. You're asking work to give you more than it was ever designed for. Or you have too low a view of work. It's pointless. Those are often the narratives that you see in this world. But when we place ourselves within the gospel narrative, it makes a whole load more sense and gives us much more hope. As Jesus comes, he comes to redeem our lives. He comes to redeem the world. And in that, so too our work. Work is redeemed. Now, if you're not a Christian here this afternoon, I hope you've seen something of this pattern and shape of work, both the goodness of it and the painful toil of it. And in this cycle of goodness and pain, the gospel story breaks in as God himself steps into the world in flesh, as Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And in case you've forgotten, do you know what Jesus did before he revealed himself as the Savior of the world? He was a carpenter. He gave years of his life cultivating, preserving, repairing with wood. Jesus gets the world of work. We see that in the illustrations that he uses in his parables. But not only because he is a worker himself and he's been in that field, but, but because he's God in flesh, who is right there in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, he made us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the pain and frustration that we endure in our work. He knows our hearts, our proneness to wonder and worship other idols. And that is why Jesus walks the cross. Going to work with wood, that the very wood that he's been working with throughout his life, he goes up to die on one of those. To deal with that central problem of sin that we see in Genesis 3. To make us right before God. That is the heart of the gospel. But through that, he gives us new identities. He gives us new hearts. He fills us with his spirit to reverse everything that went wrong in Genesis chapter 3. And that will affect our lives and our attitude towards work. See, there's three things I, I mentioned that, that tend to go wrong. Jesus redeems us so that work is no longer our God. Instead of the idolatrous hearts that we often are tempted to, to have, our identity is restored by Christ. We are perfected again as God's image bearers, reformed in his image, in the image of Jesus. My worship is of God because I'm made in God's image, not in the image of my work. He is the Lord. He's the master of all. That is why Paul calls servants to work as though they work for the Lord. Not just for their earthly masters, not just for your bosses, but to work as though God is the great big boss that you work for because your identity is in him. 
And can you see, when you work for, for God in that sort of way, as God intended as his image bearers, you will work hard to cultivate, to serve, to minister to God's creation to other people as God has intended. And can you see how the knock-on effects can be so big? You will grow into becoming a hard-working, joyful, thankful, loyal employee. And that will hopefully have an impact on those you work with as they watch you go, what is, what is going on here? Work also becomes pur- purposeful. Work that was pointless and painful toil suddenly becomes meaningful again. It's the difference between somebody sensing, oh, maybe this is the right way to go, and somebody knowing with certainty, no, this is the right way to go. See, there's a sense in all of us as human beings that there is some goodness in work, and we're trying to figure it out, but now redeemed in Christ, we have that clear certainty. Our work is good, and it's to honor God, to preserve and cultivate as God had intended. And I think we see this in the great commission that Jesus gives to us. Just as Jesus leaves, he says to his disciples, look, go and make disciples of every nation and teach them everything I've commanded you. Essentially what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, look, go and create, recreate, have people be born again to carry on God's glory into the far corners of the earth as we make disciples to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Do you see how it's continuing what we saw in Genesis chapter 1? Carry on taking God's glory into the far corners by making disciples. Which means evangelism really matters. We want people to be redeemed by Christ. We want them to enter his kingdom. We want to share the gospel. And that's important that we do that and pray for opportunities at work to do that. But that is not all. Because Jesus also says, teach them what I've commanded you. And that means teaching them how to live in light of our new king and his kingdom today. And that will affect how we live and how we work today. I found this really helpful when I was in secular work. Jesus says everything he taught can be summarized by those two commands, to love God and to love neighbor. So every day as I went in, this is all I did. I said, Look, how am I going to love God in the way I work today? How, I'm gonna, how am I going to love my neighbors by how I work today? It's another way of saying, how can I cultivate and glorify God in the way I work today, in what I do today? And how can I serve and cultivate and help other people flourish through the work I do today? Now hear me right, I'm not saying we're going to suddenly you know, redeem creation through the work that we do. That's Jesus' job. He's going to do that. He's going to make all things new when he returns. But as members of God's kingdom today, we can bring a foretaste of that world. As Hannah was praying, she mentioned salt and light. That's what Jesus calls us to do, to season the world and show them the way of God's kingdom and point them to Christ. Here's the last thing, last thing I just want to quickly mention before I, I want to give time for a sheesh. Work can become fruitful. We are redeemed in the image of Christ. That means our work doesn't become about how productive we are, what our profit line is. Those are secondary things. But our work becomes about how we reflect the image of Christ in our work. Fundamentally, I think then, it's about how you are glorifying God in how you work and how you are cultivating and serving to help creation, to help other humans flourish. That is what it means to bear fruit. That is why the fruits of the Spirit have a huge impact. Because you become kind and gentle and self-controlled and loyal and peaceable with your colleagues and your boss. A whole different attitude in the way you work. You start to look beyond just the vision and value of your company, of the products that they make. Because you start to see, look, how your work reflects God's goodness. 
his glory of cultivating, of preserving, of carrying his glory to the far corners of the earth. And you serve a greater master who loves to smile upon his faithful children. That should make us bolder in our evangelism as well. Because we see that kingdom. We see the boss we work for. And we want people to share in that. Time has gone on. Let me, let me, I, I want to stop there. And I'm going to invite Ashish to come up. Because I want Ashish to, to share a little bit about what it's like, been like for him and his field of work. To sort of ground this, a little, this sort of theology a little bit more uh, in his own experience. Thanks, Mike. Mike asked me to help share some of my reflections from, I guess, my life, my career, my work, to help illustrate some of the ways in which the gospel has impacted, the ways in which the gospel um, speaks to our work. And so while Mike didn't talk about himself and what he did, I'm primarily going to be talking about myself, because that's the only story I know. I'm sorry. Uh, so I'm Ashish. I'm Tia's husband, for those of you that have met Tia and not me. Um, and in terms of vocation, I'm a corporate lawyer. I appreciate now I have to explain what that is. How many of you have seen Suits? It is not that, <laughs> all right? About 0% of my job is what happens in Suits. Unfortunate? Maybe, I don't know. Um, but for most of you, I appreciate that saying I'm a corporate lawyer means you think I work a lot of hours, I make a lot of money, and that's about it there is a little bit more to it. So what I do is mergers and acquisitions. What that means is businesses buying and selling other businesses. Um, simply put, um, if you buy a piece of clothing from a store and you go home and you found it's ripped up, you want to be able to take it back to the store and get a refund or get another piece of clothing. Now when businesses do that, that little refund process is very complicated, right? And there's usually thousands of pages of written, like, written word that goes into ordering that process because it's chaos. It is, trust me. Um, and what we do is we write those thousands of pages of contract words, all right, for nobody to ever read, but just so they're there locked into, in a closet. And should something ever happen, well, that's when people pull them out and start fighting about it, right? And then we hand it over to our litigator friends who go to court. Um, but so that's a, that's, that's a little bit of what we do. These, these are big transactions. Companies spend millions, hundreds of millions, billions often on these transactions. And they actually matter in what you see around you. How many of you noticed that Vodafone merged with um, O2 sometime over the last two years? Not a lot. But that was a big deal. But that had significant impact on everybody who's like an O2 subscriber. You have a lot more coverage everywhere in the UK now. These are the kinds of things that lawyers actually work on. They just never see it, all right? So how does the gospel speak into that, right? What does the gospel really mean for me as a corporate lawyer? Surely it means I should quit, right? <laughs> no. I think um, over the course of my career and over the course of the years of studying before that, um, the ways in which God has sort of spoken to me has been to show me that God actually has immense vision for my work, right? Um, and I think of this in, in sort of two ways to so travel with me. Um, I think of this in the zoom-in way, which is you're in, like, the middle of writing one of these thousand-page contracts, right? And you're like, 
you're like fighting over the drafting and where does this piece of writing go and where does that piece of writing go and should we put this in one document or six documents and you're spending all these like insane hours trying to figure that out. And part of me then remembers that that, that part of like putting this all in the right place, that is a reflection of God's character, right? That was God at the beginning. He separated light and day because he said that's the right place for light and that's the right place for day, right? And so there's a part of me that really enjoys reflecting my creator's image in putting closets in the right place, in making documents look really beautiful, right? And it helps me derive a little bit of pleasure from that. And that pleasure there, that when you enjoy your work, when you, when you look at something you did and you say, ah, that is a little taste of heaven, I think. That is a little taste of the beauty of what God designed work to be, right? And, and I think that that is, in some ways, God's vision for us. That is the image he gifted to us. That is the, the love with which, which he gave us work. But beyond that, the gospel also gives me a larger vision for my work, right? The gospel helps me ask, well, what am I really doing over here? Like, what's the big picture to this deal I'm working on? What is the big picture for legal culture in the city that I work in? What does it mean to work in the city of London? How does this change any of that? How is God looking to renew the city? How is God looking to change these things? How do I fit into that picture? And God's got that vision. And, and I can tell you, having done this for 10 odd years now, that the vision that gospel gives me for being a corporate lawyer is far more compelling than any of the alternatives I have found in the marketplace thus far. Right? So God gives you great vision. I think the second way in which the gospel impacts my work is it takes the pressure off. Right? And what do I mean by that? I think two things. The first is it takes the pressure off me. Um, I work in hustle culture. I think most of us who live in the city work in hustle culture. We're all like, I'm going to get that gig. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do that. And I think the gospel actually takes me a lot out of the picture of my career. And, and to do that, I just I need to do a little bit of history because I think it's important. It's important to, to travel with the story. But if I look back on my story of being anything, like sort of, of coming out of school, of coming out of college, and it's really interesting. So uh, as every good South Indian kid, I had two sort of goals coming out of high school. One was to be an engineer. The other was to be a doctor. That's basically it, all right? I wasn't very good at biology, so doctor got fairly early on ruled out. Turns out when I hit my A-levels, I wasn't very good at like physics, chemistry, or math either. Uh, so the engineer part sort of got ruled out. I actually ended up in law school more by a process of exclusion, right? It was like, what are the jobs that I can't do? Oh, what's left? Well, okay, let's do this. Uh, but as I went into law school, I realized that this is a skill set that I really enjoy. This is wonderful. I really like crit critical thinking. I can speak English. This is great. I understand these words. Um, and, th and that really developed. And as I did that more, I realized that I enjoyed advocacy. I thought I was going to become a litigator. I thought I was going to go to court and argue things. And I spent all of my sort of law school life focusing on um, part of that. And I sort of hit my finally out of college when everybody's supposed to be, you know, job hunting and things like that, except I suffered a tragic breakup, and as all teenagers, or well, early 20-agers do, I moped around college for six months not doing anything with my life. And so when we sort of hit the end of college, I didn't have a job, nor did I have a litigator that wanted to take me on, right? And it was really my friend who sat down at my laptop one day and fired off my CV to a bunch of places. Um, and one of the, the sort of small little firms 
in Bombay, replied and was like, oh, well, we'll interview you. We need some people. Uh, and that actually turned out to be my first job. I had very little to do with that. Um, but like, going into that first job, I didn't even want to do it. I don't think I like, I was like, well, I've committed to this for six months and then we'll see. But God really turned that and shaped that and starting to do that work, I realized, oh, I like this. This is actually great. This is not too bad at all. Um, and the rest is really history because this pattern repeats itself again and again and again in my life, which is all of the good pieces of my work, all of the bosses I've really loved, all of the, uh, the things that have like, turned out to be so good for me, I've had so little to, deal, to do with. I have not generated that. And I think that reminds me that there is someone who is bigger in charge of my career. There's someone who cares about this more. Um, right? So it takes the pressure off me. It takes the pressure off your work. Again, like Mike said, we all tend to believe that works, on a very subtle level, work is giving you the good life, right? Work's paying the bills. You've got to do your job, otherwise it's paying the bills. Work is going to give you that importance that you need in the world, right? And I think what the gospel reminds you is, is when that falls through, when your work caves in, which it may, right? The net of the gospel will hold you and will catch you, Right? And you must think, well, this guy lives a no-pressure life. He's got great vision, so he's got it all sorted. That is far from the truth. Tia says I walk around with a latent level of stress that <laughs> I just don't notice. Um, but that is, is a very real part of, of what I do is um, there is so much to troubleshoot and so much to repent of. And I think the last thing I have to say is, like, the gospel gives me a framework to repent. It gives me a framework to troubleshoot, um, right? So when it is incredibly hard because I, I, I suffer with a lot of like overwork and how do I respond to this like season of crazy hours and this season of crazy people who just want everything yesterday um, I think the gospel gives me a framework to keep doing it and know that my identity is not going to be tied at greatness how do I deal with situations in which I fudge something up Ooh, all that went wrong I think the gospel, again, it reassures me of my identity. It helps me repent to my colleagues when I've, like, really messed it up. It helps me go and say sorry. And if you work in a corporate office in London, try saying sorry to a colleague. It is incredibly disarming. Um, <laughs> but the gospel really does give me a framework to repent and troubleshoot. And the other thing we've dealt with in our house, and, and this is, uh, is seasons of underwork. And it's when we first moved to London, Tia... Um, spent a good year of unemployment. It was incredibly hard. She wants to write. She wants to do something. But there's no way to write it. Right? And, and just processing that with her and learning to, to know where does my identity lie? Where does my value lie? What is it that really holds me? Um, is something that the gospel can give you. So what does fruitfulness look like for me? For me, it looks like God... For me, it looks like using the talents and gifts God's given me to write long documents and put up with long hours occasionally to use the identity I know I have in the gospel, which is that I, I love this work, but it is not everything about me, right? To use that to be the best corporate lawyer that is, to use that to serve my boss really well, to use that to um, just do my work incredibly well, to look at the ways in which it is shaping the city and the world that God loves. Um, the last thing I think that's been a reflection over many years for me is that in God's economy, there is no such thing as just a job, right? All of the work we do, right, whether it's cleaning the house, whether it's 
um, going to work, whether it's studying or teaching or pastoring, or the, all of the work we do, God's got vision and purpose for it. And these have seen some of the ways in which they have played out in my life. Thanks so much, Ashish. Um, time is running away from us. So, but look, hopefully that gives you a bit of a picture, a flavor of what, what it is, the, some of the theology behind it, what God says, uh, and Ashish has helped me, given us some practical things that has helped him. Um, and as I said before, we'd love to chat. If you want to dig into this a lot more, we'd love to chat with you guys. Um, so please do grab us in, in the mini's room uh, after the service. Uh, and we'll just spend a few minutes just chatting and, and talking about that more.